0: Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. Um, before we get started in uh, Jeremiah chapter 10 here tonight, we've been mentioning the Johnny and friends. And if you have any questions about that, I said you could see Jonathan, but you also can see uh, James Travis over there who's been to Jamonville. I'm saying that right, correct? Jamonville? He's been to Javonville, and he's got pictures of it. He's got a schedule. If you have any questions upon that, you can go see him. And I also told him that I was going to refer to him as the man, the myth, and the legend. So the man, the myth, and the legend, James Travis, will answer any question you have, not only about Johnny and friends, but just about life. He's like an an oracle. Just go ask him anything, and he will point you in the right direction. Jeremiah chapter 10. Now, we've been saying here in our study through Jeremiah that once we get to right around chapter 11, the book starts changing a little bit. During these previous chapters, we've been doing two or three chapters a week because it's been the big prophecies, and I'm not trying to downplay it, but the big prophecies have basically been, hey, Israel, you've been bad, and now you're going to be judged And that's kind of what it's been about. Yes, that's very important, and that's obviously what's going on here. But here in chapter 10, you see it a little bit, but really in chapters 11 and 12 on, the book takes a total different feel. Jeremiah is given tasks to do by the Lord, and Jeremiah is sent out. Jeremiah eventually gets thrown in stocks. He gets thrown in the dungeon. Jeremiah... Has a real rough life here happening in about the next couple of weeks. Chapter 10 really is our last chapter before we start getting into the personal life of what Jeremiah went through. And I hope you really stick with us through that because the life of Jeremiah is absolutely amazing. As we mentioned back in the introduction in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah ministered for over 40 years. And as far as we can tell in the studies on Jeremiah, he did not have a single person that listened to him. Not a single person. So if you're at a job or if you're in a family situation or you have friends and you just keep on preaching the truth, the gospel, and you really feel like it's falling on deaf ears and you're getting frustrated by that, you and Jeremiah can relate. For four decades plus, he went out there preaching the truth about God. And not a single person wanted to listen to him. In fact, they hated what he said so much, like I said. They threw him in the stocks, they threw him in the dungeon, because they didn't even want to hear what this guy had to say. Jeremiah had a tough, tough ministry. And there's numerous times in the book of Jeremiah where he wants to quit. He wants to give up. We can relate to this guy a lot. But before we get to that, that's going to start in the next few weeks. Jeremiah chapter 10. Now, Jeremiah chapter 10 is all about idols, And idols is always kind of a funky thing to talk about because in the present-day society that we live in, we really don't have idols like the Old Testament has. Now, we have idols, don't get me wrong. We have lots of idols in the world today. Sometimes the idols take the form of an actual possession. Sometimes the idols take the form of something that is more symbolic, if you will. Wealth, promotion, power, etc. But we all have something in our life that is the center of our life. When I'm usually talking to somebody, I'll ask them, who's on the throne of your life? That, that's the most important thing in your life. That's your idol. And if the throne of your life is Christ and the Lord, amen. Everything you do focuses around that. The truth of the matter is for some people, the throne of their life is not the Lord. Oh, he's close. But maybe it's work. Maybe sometimes it's something you don't even think it's bad. I've seen people make kids the center of their life. I've seen people make their spouse the center of their life. I've seen people make church the center of their life. All those things may have merits. Obviously, I like my spouse. I like my kids. I like the church. But Jesus is the only one that died on the cross for my sins. He's the center of everything we do. So, what you have to stop and say is what is the most important thing in your life? I hope it's the Lord. But back here, a few thousand years ago for Jeremiah, it wasn't the Lord for Israel. So, let's look at this. Verse 1, Jeremiah 10. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, a house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. Here's our key verse, Jeremiah 10, verse 2. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Gentiles is a fancy way that the Old Testament uses to describe anybody who's not a believer. So if it was referred to as the Gentiles in the Old Testament, it's basically saying someone who is not saved. God's coming right out in verse 2 saying, do not Learn the way of the Gentiles. Don't be like the non-believers. Don't be like the world. What are we supposed to be like? Look at the verse there, Romans 16, 9. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. We're supposed to be naive when it comes to the evil things of life. We're supposed to be simple when it comes to the things that are evil. The problem is, I see many Christians who seem to know as much evil as the world knows. I see many Christians that seem to know as much evil as the non-believers there is a different standard that we're called to live under. There is. Now, that doesn't make us better than anybody. But it's not. Just because we choose not to say the things the world says, dress the way the world dresses, watch the programs the world watches, and do those type of things, and tell the jokes the world tells, it doesn't make us better than them. We are choosing to live under a different, better standard. We are choosing to be simple concerning evil. The problem is, with most Christians, we're really good at sin, And so that's something we're successful at. And we know the way of the Gentiles really well. Now, it's actually a compliment when, as a believer, someone comes up to you and they do some in the window or they do some joke or they sell some story and you're sitting there saying, I don't get it. They may mock you and they may make fun of you for being naive, but you know what? I'd rather be naive concerning evil. That's the point of it. See, what happened back in Israel... They were not simple in the way of evil. They knew exactly what the non believers were doing. They were doing the same thing. As we've said out here many times before, too often Christians talk like the world, dress like the world, and act like the world. We're under a different standard. So, what did they learn of the Gentiles? Verse 2 They were dismayed by the signs of heaven. Now, what's it mean to be dismayed by the signs of heaven? That means what happens back in the Old Testament, they would look up to the heavens, they would look at the stars, they would look at all that type of stuff, and they would basically try to see what was going on, and when something happened in the heavens that bothered them, it dismayed them. Now, we're obviously smarter than that today, aren't we? No. Just a month ago, people were freaking out because some Mayan civilization said the world was going to end. Seriously. We still get dismayed at the signs of heaven. Just was it last year or two years ago? I used this example and I can't even remember when it was. The the old guy that said the world was ending in May. Remember he put up all the billboards and all that other type of stuff? I don't know how many times people contact me about that saying, what do you think about this? People still get dismayed at the signs of heaven. My response was always the same. If he knows when the world's going to end, I can guarantee you the world's not going to end that day. Because if anybody says they know when the world's going to end, it's not. People get dismayed all the time. They hear about something going over in Iran. They get dismayed. Well, what about this? They hear about something going on over here, over there, and people get worked up over different things happening in the world, the science of heaven, when really the only thing that God says is just trust me through this whole world. See, as Christians, we're called to a different standard. The news may bother us. The news may hurt us as we listen to these sad reports, but we should never let these things trouble us. Because we know how it ends and we know that Christ is in charge. So they were dismayed at the signs that were happening in the world. Nah, as Christians, we're above this. Don't allow that world to pull you down and to steal your joy and to make you all worked up and nervous about things that are happening in the world. We know how it ends. What's the next thing they did? Verse 3. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers, so it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot go by themselves. Do so not be afraid of them, for they cannot do any evil, nor can they do any good. Jump ahead to verse 8. They are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Now, what is going on here is this phrase, dull-hearted, is repeated. Now, dull-hearted is what my new King James says. Depending on your translations, some of your translations say brutish. Some of your translations say senseless. This is a word going can be repeated in this chapter. This idolatry that they were doing was senseless, dull-hearted. Think about how dumb of an idea this is. Isaiah gets into this. You want to make an idol, so you go cut down your own tree. You carve your own idol. You decorate your own idol. You make your own idol. You stick it up on your ledge, and then you worship the thing that you just made. How silly is that? Look at what he says right here in verse 3. You cut down the tree, verse 3. Verse 4, you decorate it. You put nails and hammer it together. Why? So it won't topple. And verse 5, it can't talk. You have to carry it wherever you go. That's why verse 8 It's worthless. It's stupid. But that's what they worshipped back then. Isn't that one of the dumbest things you've ever seen? This idea of carrying around this statue that they created themselves, that cannot speak, that cannot do anything, and yet they have to take care of it, but yet they worship it as a god. Now, once again, we don't do that today. But we all have something we worship As a God. Now, I hope it's the true God, but for some people it's not. I've shared this with you before earlier. Some people are worshiping the God of promotion. Some people are worshiping the God of a raise. Some people are worshiping the God at the altar of some boyfriend or girlfriend and they're willing to compromise every spiritual conviction they have for them. Some people are worshiping at the God of a possession. I've seen it. I've seen people that when you meet them and you start talking, they whip out their wallet instead of showing pictures of their wife and kids. You want to see my boat? No, I don't want to see your boat. I don't care about your boat. But because I love you, I'll talk to you about your boat, so hopefully we can talk about the Lord. But that's their possession. See, we don't have the little statues today, but we all have something that cannot speak, that cannot talk, and that we have to carry around, and we make that the focus of our life. And it may be something, once again, as simple or as beautiful as your spouse or your kids. Those things that take away the Lord is an idol. And we got to be careful that there's nothing in it that pulls us away from our walk relationship with the Lord. For them, it was pretty easy to see. In today's society, it's a little harder to find the idols in your life. But you got to be careful that those idols aren't there. So the first things we see here in Jeremiah chapter 10, don't be like the Gentiles. And the first way we see they were like the Gentiles is idolatry. They brought this idolatry unto themselves. Now, Take a quick break here for a second, and we 've got any quick questions, comments about anything we've talked about here thus far, the idolatry and also Jeremiah warning them don't be like the Gentiles. Ryan. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense in any way whatsoever. And that's what is so crazy about this, is just this idea here. There was another verse I wanted to share as you were saying there that made me think of something. Turn if you will to uh, Jeremiah 2. Because Ryan's bringing a point up there about just how, how idiotic that sounds. Jeremiah 2. Here's a verse that we went over a few weeks ago, but let's just refresh ourselves with it. Jeremiah 2, verse 27. Look at this, saying to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face, but in the time of their trouble they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourself? Let them arise, if they can save you in the time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. I mean, Seriously, look at verse 27, you are my father, to a tree you gave birth to me, to a stone. Now, that sounds ridiculous. That That's really not as strange as what some people still believe today. I'm just telling you right now, you go out there and you talk to enough people, when it starts coming to this idea, and I'm not trying to get political here, when you start getting this idea of the environment and things like that, how almost that is worshipped and elevated. I mean, it says in the book of Romans, they worship the creation rather than the creator. And you know what? We're supposed to be good stewards of this planet. That's back to Genesis. I completely understand that. But also, according to First Peter, this entire world is going to burn and start from scratch. I've shared with you before at our house, when you walk into our garage, now we're up to 10 things. Dawn recycles 10 different stupid things. I could burn all of them but metal. And I bet if you even let me, I could get a fire hot enough to burn that metal. I don't get recycling. I don't understand recycling. I want to burn plastic, paper, cardboard. I want to burn it all. I, I like it. She tells me we need to be a wise steward of the planet because Genesis says it. I says it's all going to burn anyway. So we have this theological argument that go back and forth. Point is, there are some people that take this idea of this wonderful creation God has blessed us with and elevate it to the status of almost worship. Guess what? The same thing was happening a few thousand years ago. Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 10. It becomes an idol. It really does. Anybody else got anything i want to say here before we go on? Yeah, Jody. You know, you're asking me a question about Buddhism, and uh, I can't give you a lot of answers about Buddhism. My understanding of the little Buddha dolls, it's not so much as a worship as, dare I would say, a good luck charm. My understanding is more like that. Same same thing. Well, same thing. So but I don't I gotta be honest, I plead ignorance when it comes to Buddha. I just know Buddha needs to work out a little bit. That's all I know. You know Jody. <laughs> oh great. I did not know that. See? See, we all have those things. I mean we all we all have those little things that we, we leave on our car for good luck. We have all these little things that we carry around with us. And you know, even as Christians, solid born again Christians, we run into this trap of good luck charms and I used to do this and sometimes I still catch myself doing this once again Lord I got a big appointment tomorrow I'm going to read a lot of verses tonight Lord I got a big appointment tomorrow look how much I prayed God you owe me a good answer here because I've read double today I prayed a lot today and I even fasted you have to say yes wait a second that's not the way the system works that's trying to make almost a good luck charm out of it that's really kind of what it was anybody else got anything before I move on okay so idolatry next one Jump ahead to verse 14, it says everyone is dull-hearted, without knowledge every metalsmith is put to shame by an image for his molded image is falsehood. There's no breath in them. So basically this guy makes an image and there's nothing in it. They are futile, a work of errors in the time of their judgment, they shall perish. See who are we supposed to be worshiping? Jump back to verse 12. He, actually let's go to verse 11, Thus you shall say to them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from this earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at His discretion. When He utters His voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind out of His treasuries. Now, Just stop and think about this for a second. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is out of Hebrews. It's Hebrews 4, 6. It says that we can boldly enter the throne of grace. If you are saved tonight and you know Jesus as your Savior, you have complete access to God who created everything. Now just think about that for a second. Whatever problem you are facing at home, at work, at school, and in life, you have complete access to God the Father. Why would we not take Advantage of that. Verse 12, he's created everything. He's established everything. Verse 13, he commands the waters and the lightning and the rain. Problem is, verse 14, everyone hears that word again, dull hearted, brutish, senseless. Instead, they're looking at this tiny little image for answers. How crazy is that? Absolutely crazy. Every now and then I'll have somebody contact me. And they want to know if they should do X, Y, or Z. I'm always willing to talk. I'm always willing to listen, share scriptures, pray. But generally I ask them, well, have you prayed about it? And if they say no, I usually say the best thing you could do is hang up the phone and go talk to the Lord about this to see what He wants you to do. How many times do we do that? I still run into this sometimes where a big situation pops up and instead of going to the Lord first, I go to some human being. Why would I do that? I have access to God the Father. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking people for advice or counsel, especially if they're believers. I don't want to, That's a biblical concept. But go to the Lord. These guys were going to their little idols that they created first, where Jeremiah is trying to remind them, you can go to God. Just think about that for one second. Really let that sink in. You have access to God anytime you want. That is an absolutely amazing concept. It really is. And let's never forget that. Why were the people dull-hearted? Well, part of the reason why the people were dull-hearted, jump ahead, if you will, to verse uh, 21. It says, For the shepherds have become dull-hearted, and have not sought the Lord, therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. I mean, here's the truth of the matter. The shepherds, the spiritual leaders, they were dull-hearted. They were brutish. They were senseless. So since they were no longer seeking the Lord, there wasn't that fire being set from up top to seek the Lord in what they were doing. So since there was spiritual, I should say, lack of spiritual growth at the top, that filtered down to the people where there was no longer a growth in the people to want to do what God wants. See, there has to be, if you're any type of ministry leader, be it just serving in the back once every few months, or maybe you have an accountability partner, or maybe you are the only believer at work amongst a lot of non-believers, you have that spiritual responsibility to set a tone, You can set a tone on your shift. You can set a tone with who you work with. You can set a tone in your classroom. You can set a tone in your house. Now, everybody may not pay attention to it, but you can set the tone. I know for me, and it's just such a simple, simple concept, when I am doing what is right in the Lord, and I'm in the Word, and I'm in prayer, and I'm setting that example at our house, things just go better. It just really does. When I'm out of the Word and I'm allowing the things of the world to get me, and I'm getting tense, and I'm getting worked up, and I'm allowing frustrations to control me, it filters down to everybody else in my household. It really does. It is such a simple, simple concept. One of the verses I use a lot in counseling is Proverbs 14.1, where it says, A wise woman builds up her house, and a foolish woman tears it down. And if I'm ever doing marriage counseling, I usually ask the woman a very simple question, Are you building up your house, or are you tearing down your house? Same thing with us as men. If you're out here and you've got kids at home or just your wife, what have you, are hey, the spiritual leader of that house. Are you building up your house or are you tearing it down? If you're not married, and maybe, I don't know, just at work, are you building up or tearing down? At school, are you building up or tearing down? Have you become dull-hearted? See, when the spiritual leadership becomes dull-hearted, it filters down to everything else. And that's what was happening in Jeremiah. The spiritual leadership wasn't seeking God. The people weren't seeking God. They were going after idols Judgment is coming. Hence, verse 18 of Jeremiah chapter 10. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will throw out at this time the inhabitants of the land and will stress them that they may find it so. God says, because of your lack of following me, because of you following idolatry, because of your hearts turning from me, I'm tossing you out. And Now he's giving them, you got to remember here in Jeremiah, he's giving them about 30 years notice of this. This is not like all of a sudden Babylon comes and destroys them. He's giving them a chance to repent. They're choosing to reject. But God in his infinite grace and mercy says, I'm going to do this. And we can see the repentance now. Look at Jeremiah's response here. Look at verse 23. I love these verses, 23 and 24. O oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. O oh Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. If you are looking at yourself spiritually right now, and you're saying, okay, I'm not as focused as I could be. I'm not as strong as I could be. I'm not as on fire for the Lord as I could be. Verses 23 and 24 are for you. Look at this. Just look at it one more time. Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We don't know what's best. Dawn and I were trying to plan a date night the other day. We were going to try to get out and just go do a couple things, and so we're trying to get around... Babysitters to do that and it didn't work out Elias overheard us saying it Elias who's seven years old said I'll just watch the kids You're you're seven years old He says I can do it He's going to watch a six year old, a four year old A three year old and a nine month old He's going to do it Verse 23 is for Elias It is not in man who walks or direct his own steps He's sure he can do it. it It amazes me how often we do this in life Oh I know what job's best for me I mean, yeah, I'll pray about it. I'll do a token prayer, but, I mean, Lord, I'll pick the job that's best for me because I know what's best. No, you don't. Uh, Lord, I I know who's the best mate for me. I know who the best girl is for me, the best guy for me is. I know who's best for me. So, Lord, you just bring a few options for me, and I'll choose what's best. No, you don't. Not even in the big decisions, in the little things of life. i got a little situation i got to go talk to somebody about. I, I know the best way to handle this. I know the words to say. No, you don't. See, we think that we can direct our own steps. We think we have wisdom. We think we have guidance within ourselves. We think. And that's the problem is we shouldn't think. Sometimes my best thinking has got me into the biggest problems I've ever had in life. Boy, it's not worth it. Sometimes I need to do less thinking, more praying. Less thinking, more meditating. Less thinking, more fasting. And just say, Lord, you direct my steps. And Lord, if I'm wrong, verse 24, correct me. But don't correct me in anger. Correct me in love. That you love me enough to want what's best for me. And Lord, help me to be open to that correction. Jeremiah's got a great prayer here in verses 23 and 24. It's not me, it's you, Lord. Boy, how many of you here tonight, you don't have to raise your hand, are facing a big decision. And you're and you're toiling over it, you're thinking over it, you're sweating over it. Well, isn't 23, verse 23 so relieving? It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Wow, well, Lord, you give me wisdom. Maybe some of you came here tonight and you have a spiritual burden on you. You know there's things in your life that are not going the way they should. Isn't verse 24 great? Lord, correct me, but not in anger. Man, I love it. Absolutely love what the Lord does there. We've got a final couple. Quick thoughts here. Turn, if you will, to Revelation 2. Keep your hand in Jeremiah. We're coming back for one more verse. But I want to go to Revelation 2 real quick and just share a couple things. Does anybody got any quick questions, comments, about anything we've covered here thus far? All right. Revelation 2. Two passages here in Revelation. What was happening back in the time of Jeremiah is there was this lukewarmness of Religion. They had their little temple, they had everything going well, they thing they thought things looked good. They were a very religious group of people, but there was no relationship with the Lord. There is a danger in that lukewarmness. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. stands. I know your works. Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, to stop right there for a second. You've heard us teach on this before. Verse 2 and 3, what a wonderful compliment. This people, these people at the church of Ephesus, they, they were working their butts off for the Lord here. Look at this. Your labor, your patience, you can't stand evil, you're persevered. Boy, these guys put a lot of spiritual sweat into their walk but verse 4 nevertheless I have this against you that you've left your first love they were working hard for the Lord but they weren't doing it for the Lord see that's the thing is you can become so busy serving God you forget why you're serving God you can get so busy making sure you do devotions every day you forget why you're doing devotions every day you can mark your calendar up so much serving at church that you forget why you're serving at church it just becomes the thing you do you work hard, you, you labor for the Lord, you persevere for the Lord. You can witness to so many people, you forget why you're witnessing to them. So you've got to be careful, verse 4, that you don't forget your first love. See, the problem is some people don't see this. They look at their life and say, well, I've got to be doing good spiritually. I serve in the back, I serve up front, I read and pray every day, I do this. And if somebody asks a question about the Bible, I witness, I serve, I do a lot of things. That's great. Is your heart really the Lord's? Are you just jumping through hoops because you know that's what a Christian is supposed to do? See, God wants your heart. Your heart. What's the answer? Verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What it means to remove your lampstand is you lose that light and witness for the Lord. You lose that brightness for God. Yeah, you're doing everything right, you're spiritually dim. It just doesn't seem right. And I don't know how many times I've seen this in my life and other people's lives, where it's like, Lord, I'm doing everything right. I mean, I'm in the Word, I'm in prayer, I'm serving, I'm witnessing, but where's the spark, Lord? Because I'm doing it to do it, not out of love for Christ, but because that's just what I do. Lord, I want the spark of doing it. One other passage here in Revelation. Revelation 3 now, please. Revelation 3, verse 14. Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. These are people that were just middle of the road, not really doing anything bad, maybe not really doing anything great. They're not really hurting the body. They're not really helping the body. They're just there. Jesus says, I don't want you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 17 are the people that say, I'm fine. I'm fine. My walk with Christ is fine. My marriage is fine. My witness is fine. My relationship with my kids is fine. My relationships at work are fine. No, they're not. You're judging it by your standards. See, verse 17, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. God who looked at the heart said, wait a second, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But when I first became a pastor, and I would run into somebody who had themselves so convinced that they were okay spiritually, I would devote so much time and energy to them to convince them that the relationship with Christ was not really a relationship. It was more of this surface thing. And you know what? I never had a single success. Because they've convinced themselves they're fine. This is a Holy Spirit matter. This is between them and the Lord. They have to be willing to humble themselves and say, I'm not as okay spiritually as I think I am. I tell you, I've witnessed to a lot of people in my walk with the Lord, the easiest person to witness to is someone who comes right out and says, I don't believe in God. Okay, that's great. The hardest person to witness to is someone who thinks they're saved. And they got all the answers. They know everything. They got it all figured out. Everything's great. My goodness, it is hard to talk to someone about the Lord who has convinced themselves so much that they're perfectly fine with God. That's a dangerous place to be. Last thing we're going to say. I said keep your hand in Jeremiah. We just went over this verse a few weeks ago. Jeremiah 2, please. This is our last verse. The people in Jeremiah's day, they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. Yeah, they got some idols in the house, but that's okay. They still go to temple. You know, they got this they're doing, that's okay. They're acting just like the Gentiles. Well, that's okay. They still love God. They didn't even realize Jeremiah is begging and pleading to them, You're not right with the Lord. They don't hear it. We got to be careful we don't fall into that same trap. Jeremiah chapter two, verse one. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness. We've talked about that verse a few weeks ago, where God is saying to Israel, I remember when you were in love with me, when you chased after me, when you couldn't wait to be with me. Just ask yourself spiritually. Are you at that place spiritually where you can say, okay, Lord, you are on the throne of my life. Everything I do centers around you. You know, this is a term we don't use too much in our relationship with Christ because it sounds awkward because we always think about it from the worldly perspective. But can you say you're madly in love with Jesus with that idea? See, that's what Jesus is telling the Israelites here in Jeremiah 2. He goes, you used to chase after me because you wanted to be with me so bad. When's the last time you just like, man, I cannot wait to get up and do devotions. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait to witness. I can't wait to worship. Boy, Lord, give us that fire, that excitement to do that. Once again, my translation kept repeating the word dull-hearted. What an apt description of us sometimes spiritually is we're dull-hearted. Lord, help us not to be that way in any way whatsoever. Any of you final questions, comments here? About anything before we go ahead and close up. Yeah, right. Uh, just to uh, think again about the idols, in uh, chapter 11, verse 13, it says, according to the number of your cities are there by your gods. Hmm. And according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you set altars the to these yeah. gods. So, how powerful a god is this when you only only this one city and nobody else knows about it? Yeah. Well, it goes back to what Paul said at Mars Hill in the book of Acts where he says you even set up an altar to the unknown God. Basically, you covered all your bases, but just in case you forgot a God, we're going to make an altar to the unknown God so that way he's not offended. I mean, what a weird way to live your life that there's all these gods that you have to pay respect to and worship, etc. It goes back to what we talked about Sunday, the simplicity of Christianity. There is one God, one God, And then there's God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in there. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Boy, the simplicity of that. Gotta absolutely love it. Gotta love it. Anybody else have anything they would say here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, create in us a spark, a fire. Lord, we want to be people that are in your word, that are in prayer, that are in the spirit witnessing and serving and loving, making a difference at home, at school, at work, wherever you've called us, Lord. Help us to have you be on the throne of our lives. Lord, we don't want to be dull-hearted in any way whatsoever. Take away all the hoops we jump through and help us just to have a strong relationship with you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.